Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. All right, everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Howdy, howdy. And uh, music video sins writer, Barrett Share. Hello. And Barrett, you're going to get us started, right? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! We're dicks! Lord Jesus! Lord Jesus! Yes. So, uh, as everybody in the universe saw, the final trailer for Captain America Civil War was released. Uh, this is being recorded on the 12th, so a couple of days ago. And once again... It is this mishmash of dour, miserable superheroes being miserable in their own <laughs> pile of miserableness. And you, you can think about it because I actually wrote down what, what generally are considered some of the, the favorite blockbusters or superhero movies. And I came up with things like Avengers, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Star Wars, Deadpool, Superman, something like that, right? They're all enjoyable. They're all people either discovering their new powers or like just using them, right? Yeah. Okay. So then it's shifted though into things like Age of Ultron, Dark Knight Rises, which is, we can kind of come back to that one. Iron Man 2 and 3, Dawn of Justice, Civil War, Man of Steel, Winter Soldier. We can go on and on and on and on. It's just, they keep getting grittier and grittier and grittier. And I'm wondering if nobody else sees that the ones that are the most enjoyable are the ones that, uh, where you're exploring things, where you're 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 equipping, where you the the best Iron Man, the best Avengers, you know that kind of thing. So anyway, what do you guys think about? All that? Yeah, uh, I I do agree with you. I think I've always enjoyed I've always enjoyed when the superheroes are in touch with their powers and love them and are even um, have an ego about them. And um and 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 I when it once it starts getting dark, there's not much room to go anywhere else to me um so once you've gotten it to this point and it's like you know uh, it's a civil war between our superheroes and everything i don't know where else you take the story after that and and, you know and and maybe you know maybe this uh these uh new avengers movies that come out or whatever we'll we'll see we'll see these things will be exciting again and 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 people will just you know they'll just be good superhero movies or whatever i don't really have any uh I really don't have any high hopes for them, actually. Um, well, it's just the affect. It's the it's the mood. It's the tone of these things mm-hmm. that it, you got to be fucking miserable. Yeah. The, the whole thing about Batman v Star. That's why they in the final trailer they showed people kind of uh, enjoying themselves a little more, at least with Eisenberg's character, the Lex Luthor character, instead of the stakes are higher. You know, this time it's personal. That kind of thing. <laughs> Come on. You know, when you lighten up, that's when things are Guardians of the Galaxy is another one of those. And it doesn't have to be an origin story. It just the ones where they don't take themselves too seriously, especially in a superhero movie. Well, they're the most enjoyable. One of the bigger problems I have with that brand new Civil War trailer is it has to do with exactly what you're talking about. It's but it's the juxtaposition of of the Spider-Man jokey tone after two minutes of like all these grizzled, sad, hardened fate. I mean, everything's so dour and serious. And then all of a sudden we're, I mean, the tone fits Spider-Man, but it doesn't seem to fit this movie. Yeah. And that's probably, I I would, you'd have to, you'd have to blame that on the fact that they 
just got Spider-Man in at the last minute uh, of that movie. It wasn't even going to be in there. And then, and then, well, we got to put Spider-Man in there. And then guess what? You have a movie that in tone is dark and all this other stuff. And then you put Spider-Man in there and it's like, Hey, Andrews. And you know, um, if that scene plays the way it does in the trailer, where Tony says, I've lost my patience under and then Spider-Man shows up. How the fuck is Spider-Man going to sway this battle? (laughs) We've got Scarlet Witch, both of who could melt the planet if they wanted to. Um, oh, but you know, I'm, I've had it with this five-on-five five battle. Here's the difference maker, a teenager. You know, and, <laughs> here's an aside, too. It sort of what you just said reminds me of the first Avengers trailer where they you know, had that, that hero shot of everybody in the ro- rotating camera going around showing everybody. And there's like Hulk and, and there's Thor and there's Iron Man, all these people. <laughs> with it. And, then, and then you got Black Widow cocking a gun (laughs) and and you're like what is this gonna do against the alien army a little pea shooter Um, oh man so yeah exactly and it looks like also that uh they decided to go with uh, we didn't we have this in the in the uh, movie fights the didn't didn't they say something like we'd like to see spider-man introduced with the web taking captain America's shield away from him and everything. Maybe they did. And all that. I think they did say something like that. And, and I'm like, either you stole that or you just, you, it's just a, one of those ideas that everybody has in their minds. And maybe that happens in the comic. I don't know. I never read the civil war comic. I actually have yeah. heard it's terrible. So, <clears throat> Oh, well that's good. It's good. It's, it's got, it's, it's based on some uh, really strong foundation. <laughs> this, this movie that we're all, you know, we already don't don't aren't thinking highly of is built is built on this great comic book apparently. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that looked like it could be cool, right? I mean, like the the yeah. shot of Scarlet Witch like doing something to Vision and like there's a lot of good stuff that you can. I mean, look what happened with the first Avengers when Dude, somebody Black Panther chasing down a freaking motorcycle that was amazing. <laughs> that was awesome. What are his powers, by the way? Because he's got, like getting shot in the middle of this this trailer. His entire suit, I think, has got that cap shield vibranium in it or whatever. Because uh, okay. he's the king of the country that stuff is mined in or whatever. Ah, I just mm-hmm. said or whatever to end two back to back sentences. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. No one will notice except you. Because you remember. After the whole nine eleven thing, obviously, and that got that first print got taken down. Even before then, the first Spider Man trailers just really made you almost like want to come out of your seat, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, things like that. The first Avengers trailer looked like it was a lot more promising than than you thought it would be. The first Iron Man trailer, you know, these are they, again they don't have to be origin stories, but like you know, these are the ones that you're like, oh, okay, yeah, this this is something I can't wait for, you know. Well, yeah, I think I, that's. I feel like I can wait for Civil War. That's part of why Deadpool did so well, right? I mean, not only yeah, is it well made yeah. and it's true to the character, but it's the first. Like, I guess Marvel fans are going to say Ant Man was another one of the fun superhero movies, but I didn't have very much fun with it. But Deadpool, you know, is the first after a long line of dour, sad, depressed heroes that just he's just having fun. <laughs> You know, it's also the it's. There's already some sort of backlash against this too. I mean, uh, and and we're, and we're talking about a different franchise here. But in Kingsman, uh, it, you, it's almost like Matthew Vaughn is speaking through that movie, where you know Colin Firth says, you know, I, I, I 
I kind of prefer the bonds where they weren't making it, they weren't so serious all the time and all yeah. that. Yeah. And uh, and Kingsman was sort of an answer to this Daniel Craig Bond stuff that's been going on. Even the Daniel Craig, the la- even the last Spectre was an answer to the Daniel Craig Bonds because they started doing all the stupid, you know, innuendos and stuff like that again. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's already sort of a backlash to that, just d- darkness to everything, and and we're gonna we uh, we're already kind of tired of the superhero genre as it is. But once it starts, you know, telling, you know, reminding you how depressing life is, <laughs> then you have, um, you know, you have another problem <laughs> on your hand. This is yeah, why movies are supposed to be fun. Yeah. Here's a drinking game. Watch Man of Steel and drink every time someone smiles. You'll be able to drive after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think the uh, the same thing might be said of this Batman versus Superman. I mean, it, it, in their, in the, I think in the trailer, there's like a couple and there's like Lex Luthor is smiling once. And then Ben Affleck has that little smirk on his face. But that's probably all we'll get as far as smiling is in that, in that movie. That's our sort of take on uh, the Captain America, tra- Captain America trailer. Um, not looking forward to it, but I'm going to watch it when it comes out, and we'll see. Of course we are. Yeah, of course we are. I mean, you can complain about it all you want to, but you know, eventually you're just going to watch it and then see if you like it for yourself. Past, uh, past few movies, though, are not giving me high hopes. The next uh, topic we're going to be talking about here is um, movie theater stories. I want to tell you a story. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. And leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door, because we don't need it. Both uh, Jeremy and I, and Barrett for a short time, uh, worked at a movie theater, or multiple movie theaters in our time. And um, Jeremy, I'll let you start on this. Uh, We're going to tell some movie theater stories, basically. Um, some things that, uh, happened to us, uh, that could only happen at a movie theater. Yeah. Um, so if you've never worked in a movie theater, you probably have stories like this yourself. And, um, there's some sort of fraternity, I think, uh, particularly among those who spend a long time at the theater or go into management. Um, it's, it's quite a unique job. Um, the first story I wanted to tell is before I ever met you, I was a 20 year old assistant manager of a three screen and uh, <clears throat> it only opened for the evening shows except for the weekend. I'm going to college at the same time and it's just me and the, the other manager, the general manager, and we just basically take turns. <clears throat> and uh, I get a call at like 1 a.m. one night after I'd closed and it's the police and <clears throat> They're like, you need to come down to the theater right away. Uh, we need somebody with a key. And I lived like 30 miles closer than the general manager. So I drag my ass out of bed. I go to the theater. <clears throat> and long story short, we, we had locked a woman inside. <laughs> now, in my defense, she had she was drunk and she'd fallen asleep <laughs> on the floor, like the third row back from the screen. So even somebody going in to make sure the theater's empty after the show is probably not going to see her. Um, so we closed for the night and left and, and she's inside. And so the most vivid memory I have is watching the security tape with the police officers in the manager's office, because the first thing she does is she comes out and she stumbles to the door and it's, it's locked. It's one of those two way locked doors. If you don't have a key, you're not getting in or out. And uh, so she can't get out. So <laughs> then she goes into the bathroom <clears throat> And we, of course, don't have a camera in the bathroom, but she comes out bloody. Oh, no. Because she broke the mirror 
Oh, God. <laughs> then she goes behind concession and tries to get in every single cupboard. Uh, she she writes, help me in blood on the concession oh my screen. God. <laughs> <laughs> and then she eventually grabs a fire extinguisher and throws it through the glass door. And basically, that's how the cops got involved. Oh, and my God. It's just you know that's craziest. to me so weird that's that's one of those things where like i, I remember a mystery science theater joke where the, the in uh, one of the movies like the a guy gets like i don't know he's out in the desert or something and uh the a plane flies by and one of them's like it's like oh my god thank god you're here I had to resort to cannibalism you were only out here for two hours <laughs> <laughs> and uh and that's sort of what that reminds me of. It's like a woman like is trapped. I'm going to write flies. this note in blood. <laughs> I mean, there's obviously no pens around. <laughs> Sharpie. Uh, it was one of the craziest. I mean, it was probably top of my list. when we She couldn't even that. get out of an emergency door. There, there were emergency doors at the back of every auditorium, and there's an emergency door at the far end of the hall. But she but was wasted. Yeah, yeah. She didn't oh know God. what she was doing. She was. That's- She's trying to get out by typing on the concession screen and stealing candy. I mean, <laughs> anyway. he's like, I've been locked in the theater. I deserve it. <laughs> to watch this whole thing with the on the surveillance video. That's awesome. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna start off with a winning story. Uh, I have plenty of negative ones, but um, there's very few times that you uh, work at a movie theater and actually feel like a winner by the time the uh, the day's over. Most of the time, it's completely the opposite. Um, but um, I remember when the night that the Dark Knight opened, the Thursday midnight showings. I um we for a, about a month or so at this theater that I worked at in uh, Glendale, New York, um, called Atlas Park. We were trying to figure out how to interlock um, uh, a lot of prints because we'd only get like one or two of the big, the big movies, one, two prints, you know, the bigger ones, bigger audit, bigger theaters would get, you know, multiple prints and then have to worry about interlocking. Interlocking is when you take one print and you put it through multiple projectors. And most of the, most of the time, these things are not set up to do that uh, <laughs> properly. Um so uh, when our technicians came in and, and wired up our interlocks, they only allowed for auditoriums one and two to do to do stuff together, three and four to do stuff together, five and six to do stuff together, and seven and eight to do stuff together. And seven and eight, they didn't even put rollers in between the two projectors. So if you wanted to interlock the two biggest auditoriums, you had to start inventing ways to get film <laughs> to go from number seven to number eight. And man, boy, howdy, did we! Uh, we figured it out. Uh, uh, the it was one of the it was opening weekend of Borat, and like Borat, like did like crazy business on that opening weekend. And uh, uh, so there was a point in time where uh, once my uh, manager and first assistant started learning all this interlocking mm-hmm. stuff, that they started experimenting with stuff upstairs, and they figured out how to get. Uh, two completely uh, different auditoriums. Um, they they found a way to get the film from those two uh, to those two, and if you can get to those two, that means you can interlock up to four if you're doing it right. You're making me anxious just talking about it. Yeah. So <laughs> so basically, they found a way to put the rollers that were I think set up for five and six to work with between six and eight. Now six and eight were back to back projectors. They I mean they're they're very close together, but when you work with film. 
um, you have to find a way to, if you're going to interlock those two projectors, you got to find a way to get it there. And it's not always the easiest thing to do because you got to get the perfect angles and all this other type of stuff. So six and eight, they figured out a way to get the rollers to work on that. And so once you get six, six done, six and eight done, you can do six and five and then so on and so forth. We all, we figured out one, two, three, four pretty easily. Um, but once that was figured out, it was all a matter of just, you know, figuring out how to get the film there making sure people are up there. But, uh, dark Knight, we did, we had two prints of it and we went through, uh, we would have done all eight that night because it, it was a dark Knight was a huge, huge, you know, movie. Um, and we got, we got the first four interlocked and then we got, uh, we got one, two and three, except for number four, we couldn't do number four because mama Mia was playing and we couldn't cancel it. Um, we asked the, the uh, home office if we could and I'm like, no, you can't do it. Uh, you know, it's in the part of the contract and these theaters, they get really scared whenever you're talking about canceling movies and stuff. Well, we'll never get, we won't get their big, uh, big movies down the line if we cancel that movie and they find out and blah, blah, blah. So we had to run Mama Mia and because two people actually went to come see it. <laughs> and, um, and so like, so we did one, two and three and we did, uh, five, six, seven and eight interlocked. And it, you know, requires two people basically. One's got to press start on one of the projectors because they're both connected. So once you press start on one, both of them turn on. And then you have to have somebody start the other set of projectors so that it, and you have to time it just right because the film has slack and tension. So we did this with Dark Knight, seven auditoriums, two prints. And I don't think I've ever felt like more of a rock star than after doing that. <laughs> um because it was uh, it was just amazing to get that all that film. I'd never done something that huge before, and yeah, the technician. Once we, the the head technician, I was telling him about. It, he's like, man, I don't want to hear about this. I really don't. Uh, he's like, he's like, uh, he's like, that scares the hell out of me. What you're talking about there, and for sure, if you have anything go wrong with any of the projectors, that means that four auditoriums are going to go down. And, um, and when I ran it successfully all the way through and everything that night, yeah, there was not a better feeling to be working at a movie theater <laughs> at awful. the time because the film just went, that everything went swimmingly and everything just went really well. And it was, you know, you, that we popped in, we put in like 4,000 people that night. And Jeez. if, and if it wasn't for the fact of all this stuff coming together and, and, you know, and, and learning a few things here and there. Uh, you know, we would have we would have had two prints of it, but we would have turned away about two thousand people as well. So that's one of the things that I uh, it's a winning story. Uh, it's one of the few winning stories I have. So there you go, man. Were you at Hollywood when Muppets from Space came out? Yes, because I think we ran. I know I know I did. I just don't know if you were there at that shift, but I think I ran an interlock over a middle a projector in the middle that was showing something else. Oh, um, yeah, you could do that there. On that 22 through 27 hallway. Yeah, I was I about to say, it had to have been there. But, uh, but yeah, every I think, I mean, anytime an interlock goes off without a problem, you feel like a little bit of a rock star. But, yeah, you, you scaled a mountain on that one. Well, and it's funny, too. I always wanted to do this, and I never got a chance to uh, because the logistics of it were just too impossible with the angles of the building. But the Hollywood 27 Theater, um, all 27 projectors were connected with the interlock button. 
So if you set, if you set everything to interlock and press start on any of the projectors, all twenty seven would start running. Oh, wow. um, and so Is that what they did with Titanic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I actually wasn't there for Titanic. I remember when the movie, when the theater opened, Titanic was one of the big movies that was there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I, I remember thinking that I was going to have to do this one day, not all 27, but I was going to have to do one of these weird ones where, you know, like 15, 16 and 17. And at that building, the, uh, there's all these weird angles. 15 goes down a huge long hallway 16 goes through a uh through a customer walkway like a uh was it uh it's for handicap it's for wheelchairs yeah stuff. it goes through that and and it goes through it and 16 has its own room and 17 has its own room and i thought that was going to have to do that with a movie called the fighting temptations one night because it was a sneak and it was oversold um, and everything and just ended up, we had to turn people down, but I was thinking about doing that with like number 14, which is just outside the door of 16 and <laughs> opening the two doors and interlocking it through there. But it, it would have required people ducking under film. That would have been amazing though. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, and I really wanted to do it. If I had, if I had had time to do it, I would have probably figured out a way. But it's, it's crazy how the different chain. You and I both work for multiple chains too, and how different, like the technology or the advancement of it can be. Like when I was was working in, in the late '90s in Illinois, that chain had what was called an endless loop, where mm-hmm. it was a set of Christie customized Christie projectors where once you set it up and splice the film's tail back onto the head, you don't ever have to thread it. Um, it just feeds itself back onto this tension system on the middle platter. And uh, they also had these automation machines that you could program right there. And then you could start a movie with a button downstairs by the box office, uh, or you could make it start on its own at a certain time. And then 10 years later, I'm working for Regal and they don't have any of that crap. No. Now, the only the closest thing that I got to that at Regal um, was when I was uh, going around uh, New York uh, training people for projection and stuff. There was this uh, idea at the time that um, that the unions would there wouldn't be union projectionists anymore, and that left a whole bunch of managers who had never been trained. Uh, to try to be projectionists and everything. So I had to go to all these buildings and start training people. I was the only person around that could do it. Um, uh, but like at uh, one of the theaters that I was at in Brooklyn, like they had these, they, they started on their own if you timed it just right or whatever. Like it was, uh, you'd thread it up and you're like, okay, I want this to start at 3.15. You punch that into the little automation board and that's what would happen. Start up. Of course, that led to a lot of problems too. You'd be like, yeah, the movie's started but uh, there's no sound and there's no blah blah you have to go all the way down the stairs to go and, <laughs> and fix it and everything but it did have automated starts it didn't have anything like you were talking about though where it basically threaded itself and all that yeah it was amazing man and we they only had one they operated eight screens on two buildings in this town and they only had one of these things um and it blew my mind that they didn't put more in uh but because yeah you you get the movie in you build it you thread it onto that projector and as long as you don't move it from one house to another you don't have to touch it for the rest of the week i'm sure that there were a couple of issues whether it's probably an expensive uh, machine is probably one of it and then the other one was that there was probably you may not have experienced very many problems but i bet there were some problems where 
you know, it would it would supposedly be threaded and everything and you'd start it and then, you know, all hell would break loose because nothing was right or something like that. Yeah, I guess they, they were relying on people like you guys, right? Like in, instead of just having uh, the automation and all that stuff, they still needed people who knew what they were doing and knew how to like troubleshoot and things like that, right? Yeah, I guess. I mean, we did plenty of that. Chris and I both did plenty of booth manager status and tinkering with projectors and bulbs and probably tinkered with shit I shouldn't have. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean there's there's some def, there's some things definitely not in your job description that I have done before as a projection booth manager that, you know, I, I basically just said if you know if things just screw up, they can blame me. I don't really care. Um you know, I, this has to get fixed because we, you know, we're we're under the gun or whatever. So, um, anyway, uh, Barrett, you had three months at a movie theater, right? Yeah, I had a brief career at uh, chewed the, you up and spit you out. Yeah, really, right? And I have some interesting stories that maybe I can get into in a little bit. They're more like specific, not necessarily to uh, just happened while I was at a movie theater. But the the movie theater for everybody listening that doesn't isn't aware of Nashville, there's this beautiful, huge Art Deco uh, neon movie theater called the Hollywood Twenty Seven. Has twenty seven theaters uh, right off one of the main highways and everything. I think we all worked there, right? At, at one point yep. of time. Yep, yeah, that's where Chris yeah. and I met. Yeah, yeah. So I was there right after high school uh, in uh, summer of nineteen ninety eight, and. Uh, my job was, and you know, I was coming out of high school. I was a young whippersnapper. I thought I was smart and everything, going off to college. And here I am, you know, making at the time I think like four seventy five an hour, something like that. <laughs> I was working under, you know, some real characters like uh, my shift manager. When she wanted a signature, she would always ask for my John Henry. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> that drove me crazy, man. And I was like. <laughs> Ah, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bite my tongue this whole time. But anyway, so I, I, I worked as an usher and as a concession stand worker, and it was a beautiful time to see movies in the summer of '98. That was when Armageddon came out. That's when uh, something called Mary came out. But the thing that sticks with me most about that position was was the food itself and having to do like midnight shows for like Armageddon and all that that crazy stuff, and just the grossness of of the food yet somehow becoming appealing after a while that you like <laughs> you, you've been on your feet for so long that you're just like yeah man i'm gonna get some nachos i don't care <laughs> that i just pulled you know poured that gelatinous shit out of a jar into this, <laughs> this uh, electrified hot plate i feel like that's probably a good option for me right now <laughs> that cheese does eventually become acceptable right and then yes, it does and there's something about the the freedom of like, cause at le- almost all the theaters I ever worked at, all employees could have popcorn for free and drinks for free. Yeah, um, man. And at one of the ones I worked at, you could have nachos and cheese for free. And that might've just been me being a bad Ooh. GM, but I don't yeah. remember. Um, so I ate a lot of really nasty food that just became acceptable because it was free, but you didn't eat the hot dogs, right? No, no, I knew I know enough. Of, I've actually got one of my stories on here about the hot oh, dogs. I totally ate the hot dogs, man. Um, <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, I totally ate the hot dogs. Um, I, and when I was working in projection, especially towards the time where digital started coming in, and uh, a lot of the times uh, my job was just to make sure 
all the digital movies were being built quote unquote correctly and um and like getting movies to the proper auditorium and stuff like that sometimes you'd have a lot of downtime and they're like man i really just i don't want to go to anywhere and get anything to eat right now and there's only one thing that's really substantive down in the concession stand there's nothing you know popcorn and candy ain't gonna fill you up um, so I would always go and get the hot dog, especially since it was an employee discount for two for one and all that type of stuff. So I went and got them and I threw some ketchup on them and I ate them and they were delicious. That, those were the days, man. Cause now I went to see Deadpool and I looked at the concession menu and I, I almost had a seizure. They sell so much shit now. Yeah, like yeah. pizza, the same thing. burgers, <laughs> and onion rings. I'm like, wow, I'm so glad I never had to do any of this crap. Oh, I saw no Deadpool downtown in uh, Chicago right on the, the lake at this AMC, or right on the river. And uh, it's it's the fanciest theater I think I've ever been in. And they had a wine bar right outside of the nice. uh, <laughs> of the theater. And I was like, and these people were like eating popcorn and drinking Merlot. Wow. I was like, that's probably a cool thing. Never tried that. <laughs> what a what a strange combination. That's just oh my god. I know when All I drink right. wine, I have to have popcorn. Yeah, yes. for sure. That's uh, that sounds like awful. Really, it sounds really awful. Uh, Jeremy, do you have another story for us? Sure, I'll tell a story from Hollywood Twenty Seven. Actually, um, okay. but I don't think you were there at the time. I think this was when you were with the uh, the other company, or maybe even in New York. But uh, one of the things I love about the Hollywood 27, if you've ever been there, and I, I guess two listeners maybe have, um, it had this huge domed ceiling in the lobby with with these metal, shiny metal slats. Well, when you become a manager, you find out that in the manager's office, there's this little tiny door. And when you open uh, it up, yes. it walks out onto this catwalk. And you can stand out there, and well, the manager at the time, would go out there and smoke cigarettes and look down on the lobby and just keep an eye on, you can see concession and box office and customer service. And it's just kind of fun to creepily people watch. Um, But uh, one day I'm in the manager's office. I was the first assistant at the time and I'm at the desk talking to one of the other managers. So there was a couple female managers that were office managers basically. And uh, the distinct sound of a gun goes off. Oh my God. (laughs) The door from the catwalk pops open and the GM goes with his eyes as wide as I've ever seen them. Was that a gun? And I go, I think it was. And he bolts. He's out the manager's door, which I'm standing next to before I can even get out the door. We get down there. Long story short, this man came in and checked his gun at customer service. So he bought a ticket, walked in and walked up to the customer service lady who was 60 something and said, I need to check my gun. And in the process of handing it to her, it went off. Oh, my God. And um, one of the guys from box office who was up there got a piece of shrapnel that hit his back. Um, Two two pieces of bullet ended up over in the arcade. Um, And my absolute favorite thing about the entire story was she had done it before. She had checked <laughs> this guy's gun before, <laughs> left it in the customer service. She said, "I've done it a couple times. I didn't know it was. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that." Oh my what god! Shit! Oh jeez! Did she fire it or did he? What? Did he fire it or did she? No, it misfired. It was like I think he was trying to clear the. I don't know anything about guns. I think he was trying to clear the round from the chamber, and in the process, it fired. 
He was a he was a really old dude. Between the two of them, they just decided that the social rules were such that when you go to a place, you check your gun. Yeah, you sure do. Oh my god, Ugh. that's so scary. Like that that story wow. easily could have been tragedy. I mean, it's, oh yeah, you know we we're talking about it. It's hilarious because nobody died. And, right. But but man, I mean, that so easily could have been worse. It could have been a dead person, and I wouldn't be telling it in this context. Yeah. Oh. Hell no. Oh, my God. Another real quick gun story about Hollywood is uh, I had I was working the floor and I got called up to customer service because a customer was angry. So I go up there and it's this guy and his wife and they have a little four year old kid with him. And he's just bitching me out because he's pointing at this dude in line at concession. The concessions lines were long. This was back when the theater was really busy. And this dude has just got a gun sitting on his waist. Uh, um, and this guy's all mad about his kid. It shouldn't have to be in a place where this guy's got a gun. Well, this is Tennessee, right? So there are certain people who can carry if you have a carry permit. And so I went up to the guy. Turns out he's an off-duty cop, and he's got all the permits he needs. He shows it to me. I say, all right, have a good night, sir. And there's literally nothing I can do about it at this point. And so I'm trying to assuage this man and his wife as they're walking down the one through 10 hallway, all the way down to that one at the far left. And the whole time he's cussing me and yelling at me about this terrible environment and yada, yada, and his kids shouldn't be exposed to it. And I just keep apologizing and telling him, have a good night. And then I watch them walk into scary movie with a four-year-old. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I used to do this thing in projection when I would, I was about to start some like super hard R rated movie. Uh, If, if somebody came in with like a gaggle of kids into that movie, I would always call over the radio like, hey, guys, uh, let's uh, let's put the kids in the backseat of the car. We're going to go see Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Today. <laughs> <clears throat> and of course, of course, that guy would go to scary movie with his kid the whole time. He's worried about a freaking gun and, and that a, that a guy is licensed to carry. Now, all right. Let's take you into this horrible movie for four year olds. <laughs> I mean, I walked away from that not really really feeling very bad anymore. I was like, all right, well, that guy's just an asshole. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, well, speaking of assholes, um, the the next story Jeremy knows really well. I can't uh, wait. It's on my list. I'm so glad you're telling it. Okay. Um, uh, now, this, it, ha- it takes a, a lot of unusual circumstances for something like this to happen. Um, the very first thing is that I was working a projection shift with another guy. We used to have, uh, uh, Hollywood, you'd have two projectionists. One would run the what was called the small side, which had 13 projectors in it, and the other person would run the quote-unquote big side, which had 14. Um, and the guy I was working with that day came in, shouldn't have come into work. He was super sick, like just ridiculously sick. You could see it on his face and his body and everything that he shouldn't be here. Um, so I was like, are you sure I can do all 27 by myself if you want to? And he's like, no, no, man, I got this. I got this. I was like, okay. I was like, well, you know, we'll give you the small side because you're, you know, obviously sick. Uh, so I'm going over to my side and I'm, I'm threading movies up and I'm, I think we're getting to the point of starting them. It's like 12 to 12, 15. It's the opening of the day. And, um, I get a call over the radio that says that number six, which was playing the Chris O'Donnell movie, The Bachelor at the time, um, uh, was that it the sound wasn't working. Now, 
back in the day of that theater at Hollywood 27 had these horrible amplifiers uh, that like the switches on them started to go bad. So like if you, if you like it, so at night people would turn off these switches off and on, off and on and off and on out over the years, those switches just went out. And the reason why you couldn't just turn off the breaker is that if you turned it back on, it would, it could either blow the amp or it would, it would, you know, put it into a, the, the breaker would be locked out or whatever. So you had to turn off each amp before you turned off the breaker. So those switches got broken after a while. And so sometimes you'd have people who would forget that and they would turn off the breaker with the amps still on. And when you turned them on in the next day, there would be breakers that were tripped. So, uh, the guy who was working over there, typically a really good projectionist, was super sick and everything. I was like, all right, I'm going to go over there and see what the problem is because it's it's probably because he's sick and he can't he can't hear the radio or something. Because we used to have horrible radios, too. That was another thing. Um, so I went over to number six, and I, and I couldn't notice the problem right away. But I did notice that the other projectionist was – we had all these little blue trash cans lined around the projectors. He was vomiting into one of them. Oh, gosh. And, uh, and I was like, oh, my God. And, uh, and so I, I, I started to assess the situation on number six. And I looked out there, and I think it was in the opening credits of the movie. Uh, but there was only, like, one guy in the auditorium. Now, either everybody came out – Everybody who was watching that movie came out of the auditorium or it was just because it was The Bachelor and there was one person in there. Um, the There was one guy in there and he was at the he was at the door. And, and at number six, you can actually you can actually face people at the window. It's not high enough up that, you know, that it's it, you know, you don't have you can have interaction with customers if you want to. Uh, obviously, I didn't want to in this situation. Um, I opened up the little sliding door and the guy was as nice as could be right off the bat. He said, Oh man, you know, I just can't hear anything and blah, blah, blah. And I was just wondering if you could rewind it. It was an actually <laughs> common type of thing to hear people ask if you could rewind it because, you know, we lived in the age of blockbuster and everybody, you know, Oh, it's just on a tape. All you have to do is rewind it. Press rewind. It's good. Um, but no, you can't do that. Um, now there were techniques that you could do, to to rewind quote unquote a movie but i was not prepared to do that especially considering my one partner over here was not feeling well and uh and i had my own projectors to start and we were in the middle of like starting all these movies and everything there's like a ton of things going on all at once so uh you know i tell him i can't rewind it i'm sorry you know uh you know we'll have to just get your money back or something like that uh, and i was like um I said, so look, I'll, uh, I'll try to, I'll try to figure it out and we'll get this up as soon as possible. It's only in the opening credits anyway. He goes, you mean I'm going to have to, you're going to have to, I'm going to have to miss all this part of the movie and everything. And I was like, man, I'm afraid so, but look, I'll try to get this, this going. And he goes, Hey man, it ain't about look, it's about getting it right. And all that. And that's when, <laughs> that's when the customer becomes, you know, I, I was never a huge believer in that customer is always right thing. Um, I think that once you cross the line uh, that you you start becoming less of a customer and more of a person who's taking things personally. Um, so so the guy said that he said that you know, it's not about look, it's about getting it right and all that. And I said, look, man, I'm just I'm just going to get it. I'm going to get it fixed. That's all I can do. And I slammed the window and um, I am almost immediately found the problem. 
uh, because it was that amplifier problem. And whoever shut off the power the previous night before was somebody who didn't do it that often. And they turned off the breaker and the amplifiers were all tripped and all this other type of stuff. So all it took was me to stop the movie and blah, blah, blah. But before that happened, I noticed the guy was still standing there at the door at the window. And he was... <laughs> He was giving that come hither, uh, you know, uh, motion like, like, come here. I'm not done with you, basically. And so and without opening the door or anything like opening the window or anything, I just flipped him off and called him a motherfucker. I said, you motherfucker. (laughs) Oh, my God. I knew I was in trouble. I I, uh, sort of I was like, all right, I stopped. I actually got the projector back up and running and everything. Uh, I went back and started doing my side. You like, started the movie back? Yeah, started the movie back up. Um, I started doing my stuff like nothing had ever happened. Just waiting for the call, waiting for the call, waiting for the call. And finally, uh, this the girl at customer service was like, uh, Chris? I was like, yep, go ahead. And she's like, uh, did, did you, could you come down here for a second? And I was like, yeah, sure. And uh, so I came downstairs and the guy was there and he was, you know, hot. He was just hot. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he's like, uh, he's like, he's like, hey, man, you want calling me a son of a bitch of blah, blah, blah. And I was sitting there going, well, I called you a motherfucker. I was sitting there <laughs> thinking that. But he thought I said son of a bitch. So I was like, yeah, I was the guy who said that. And uh, and uh, he goes, he goes, hey, man, who won't you take it? Well, we will take it outside. We'll figure out who's got the best words, blah, blah, blah. That nonsense. <laughs> And I was like, I was like, dude, I'm done with you. Uh, I thought you were being very rude to me. So, and I'm sorry. And I didn't say sorry, but, uh, you know, I said, I thought you were being very rude to me. It's like, oh, so I'm, I'm the rude person. I was like, yeah, that's pretty much it. He's like, I'm going to have your job, man. You're going to have your job. And that guy never complained about me to anybody, to any higher form of person at, at that company. Nobody came out. And apparently that guy still kept coming to the movies too. So <laughs> it apparently got home and he was just like, you know, I'm sure his wife or somebody got to him. was like, you know what? You can be kind of a dick sometimes. So <laughs> maybe he was justified. Now I look back on this story and I realized that I went way over the line. I went way over the line. There's no really excusing it. Uh, you know, it was just something I felt at 22 years old that I that I had the right to do to somebody. Um, but yeah, that happened. That happened. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite stories ever. God, fantastic! Oh man, you survived in the Hollywood booth by not pissing Chris off, and only a couple people did it because they were lazy, terrible projectionists, and they got rightfully yelled at. Yeah, that that was my my number one thing up there was that you didn't have a hard job. And so like when, especially later on, when I started to get really concerned about people scratching prints and stuff like that, um, that's when I, that's when I would just blow gaskets on people because, cause it's easy. It's just an easy thing, just an easy check of your projector and, uh, and you don't ever scratch a print. And you would, what you would do, you'd go through all this trouble. You'd have, sometimes you'd have a weekend where you'd like, man, we did great. We didn't scratch one print. It was great. And then like, I'd come back that Tuesday and somebody had scratched four or five prints. And, um, and I used to get really upset about that type of stuff. It was very intense as a booth manager. (laughs) Oh, you got stories, Barrett? I got one more, like a brief one where I was uh, sexually assaulted on top of a Pontiac. Ooh, okay. That sounds appropriate. 
<laughs> yeah, just just a little just a little thing because there was a funny moment in there. So I worked with a with a woman in concessions that was about my age. I was about eighteen, nineteen, and she was very very nice. And at the time, I was younger, probably better looking guy. Like she was very attracted to me, and you know I thought she was nice, but when that kind of thing. Um, and so we, you know, kind of flirted back and forth, but it wasn't anything, uh, all that, all that much. And, uh, so one night, like right outside of there where the emergency exit is, <laughs> there was, there's the parking lot goes back around there. So I was back there at the time smoking a cigarette and she came out and, uh, said, I really want to make this happen. I said, well, I don't know about this. This really <laughs> my thing. And as, I, as we were talking, like I was kind of moving backwards and I found myself like kind of, uh, up against, uh, the, uh, like a Trans Am, like a Pontiac. And so I was kind of like sitting on the hood, just being like, all right, so, uh, I'm going to head out, you know, that kind of thing. And she gets right on, on top of me and basically starts pushing me onto the hood and uh, says, you know, this is this is going to happen. And I was thinking, you know, OK, well, I, I guess this is probably going to happen at this point. You know, all right. So just just about then, as, as I'm getting kind of thrust up against like the windshield, almost uh, one of the ushers comes out of the, the movie theater. This is after everything is closed uh, to actually smoke a joint. Oh, and nice. so he comes out. Yeah. So he comes out in his vest and everything and uh, it lights up a, a joint and everything. So uh, there was this moment where all of our eyes met, where as soon as he lit up, and took the first drag. Like he looked over at us and then I looked at him and then she looked at him and he looked at her and she turns around and she says, the fuck you doing here? <laughs> and he bolts out of there so quickly, leaves the joint behind. I use the opportunity to kind of be like, okay, see you later. All right. <laughs> and, uh, that, was, that was the end of that. But there's a lot of sex happening at movie theaters. Like if, if, oh, there's, a, yeah. if there's a room in the movie theater, someone's had sex in it. Oh, for sure, for sure. It's just um, it maybe the case for all like restaurants and businesses. I don't know, but for theaters, it's definitely true. And there's really no. I don't know if there's really an interesting story about stumbling upon those things. It's just that they happen. It happens all the time. There's especially like I think the the funniest thing about people having sex in the theater is that a couple who knows that they're going to do it will always buy that movie that nobody goes to. And it's usually a kid's movie. There's really some sort of weird, <laughs> ironic subtext to that. Um, but they go to a, you know, they, they always like go at like a nine o'clock or something. And they're like, I'd like to go see Madagascar at nine 30. Nobody's going to be watching that movie tonight. And so they go in there and they're, yeah, of course they're usually the only people in that auditorium. And, uh, they'll, they'll usually use that time. Um, you know, wisely, I guess. <laughs> Have you seen that? Like one of the ideas for this topic of conversation was like the craziest stuff that you've seen either as an usher or, or, or being in a theater or as a movie goer. Have you seen like actual intercourse yes. go on? Because I've seen it. Yeah, yeah. One of my story here is as a manager walking into the men's room in down by 17, like 9 PM show and guy and girl having sex on the counter. And, uh, Get the security officers down there. Yeah, counter the bathroom. Um, It's. I mean, we're open for business, right? It's. It's a probably a Wednesday. We're not super busy or something. We're open. Anybody could have walked in there, and uh, they didn't even have the decency to go in a stall. So we get the security officers down there, and at this point in time, the security officers we were using were off-duty Metro PD officers, so they at least knew what they were doing. Some regards there. Turns out the guy's seventeen, girl is twelve. Oh Jesus. And uh, mom of the 12-year-old doesn't want to press charges. They love him. He's a good boyfriend. 
What? God. Oh my God. That's I mean, just an awful, like, like that's, that's truly awful. And like, I, I have the only other time I remember, I mean, there's of all the times that I remember sex stories or whatever, the one that sticks out is the one where there was like two 14 year olds or whatever in there in an auditorium doing it with people in the auditorium too. Geez. And like uh, one of like a former worker was in that auditorium and was texting us and was like, uh, yeah, there's some definitely some definitely some sex going on in the back <laughs> back of this auditorium. And I don't know that girl. Those those people look like they're 14. And sure enough, once uh, somebody went in there, it wasn't me went in there to kick them out. There was somebody else that went in there and kicked them out. And uh, they walked out and I was looking at them as they went out the door and I was like, holy crap, those are some young, young people right there. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty awful. Yeah. I didn't write, I kind of feel like I need to apologize now because the the story's gross and then you you kind of ask for fun sex stories and I just took us straight to a dark place. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, there's all, of course, there's always the ones of the consenting adults that you see. I mean, that happens all the time. I mean, there's not really anything interesting. I saw it once. I remember in the movie Invincible. Because there was nobody in there. The only thing that I remember about it, the thing that the reason why I remember this one so much is that um, what I used to do as a projectionist is if the if I if I started a movie and there was nobody in there and 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 there was no ticket sold, I'd usually just stop it and or or I would at least turn off the the bulb for the night just so that it wouldn't waste the bulb. And uh, Invincible, I remember there was tickets sold for it. So I was like, okay. So I, I looked over and there was nobody in the auditorium when I looked down in the auditorium. So I opened up the window and poked my head in. And that's when I saw it. You know, it was just, you know, then it was like full on just like just going at it. And I was like, okay, well, closing this window now. <laughs> uh, were they in the back? They were in the back. Yeah, they, they were in the middle of the auditorium. But then they were gone. So I was like, well... Maybe they left. Maybe they didn't like this movie because that happens all the time. Oh yeah, and uh, and so I so I, I was I was just checking to see if they were all gone and everything, and I was going to give it another five to ten minutes if there weren't anybody in there um, to to turn it off, and then uh, but I I pop, I pop my head in and yeah, there it was. It was just going out. I'm trying it. to picture this. So they're on the back row, and your your head just like appears above them. Like no, no, they were to the right in the back. Oh. So, but even, but even if they were, if if they were, uh, directly below, they probably still wouldn't have seen me. Um, because a lot of times people just don't notice that, that change in, in pressure in the room. And so you open up a window and like, for me, like when I was in, when I'd be in a movie theater and I would, I'd be watching a movie by myself and somebody was looking for me and they opened up the window, always could feel it. Oh Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Always. And, um, and so like some people just never do, you could yell to people sometimes and they don't even know where it's coming from. So, um, yeah, they, they were oblivious. They were completely entangled. And, and after six minutes of watching them, then you went back. And <laughs> That's right. It, right. I had to wa- I watched them six minutes and this was before I had a smartphone, so I could not record <laughs> it. So it was unfortunate. That was a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess I could give one more yeah. and then, and I've got plenty more, but um, Jeremy and I knew a guy named Russell at, uh, at Hollywood 27. Um, the guy was one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. Um, but there was one day we were all in the office. I don't think you were there, Jeremy, but, uh, it was Russell and there was like a whole bunch of other managers and everything. So there was a, 
there was a point where somebody walked in and had some sort of message to say or whatever. And Russell being Russell was like, you know, pretended like he was angry about the message and he picks up the phone. He's like, I'm going to call the blah, blah, blah about this and whatever. And, you know, and, you know, he, he, he pushes the phone and whatever. And it's like, ha ha ha. Russell's funny. Um, and then, um, and so then we proceeded after that person left to sit there and talk real trash about the manager. <laughs> we were talking all sorts of trash about the manager that was there at the time and deservedly. So, cause yes. Jeremy has one of the worst stories I've ever heard. One of the worst racist stories I've ever heard uh, with that manager. But, uh, but uh, we were sitting there just talking all this trash and everything. Now our phones are hooked up to the intercom. So if you hit the right button, it hits uh hits like an intercom button where it goes to like concessions and stuff like that. Luckily it wasn't like, you know, like broadcasting the whole auditorium, the whole theater, <laughs> but we were sitting there because Russell had, had touched the phone. He had accidentally hit that intercom button and we're sitting there trashing the manager and everything going over. And like somebody, Laura calls up from one of the concession stands and she's like, you you know you guys are you can everybody can hear you guys right and, like, and, Ru- and Russell's like oh yeah we were just joking blah, blah 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 we knew we knew the phone was on and everything like that we were just sitting there like just bad mouthing the man I don't think the manager was there that night too that was the reason why we were so freely just you know blah 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 or whatever but yeah it was one of those things where yeah Russell pulled it off like oh yeah we knew we we just turned it on so that you could hear it blah 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 see I have this sneaking suspicion that he's it's like the prestige and he's just playing this crazy persona off 24 seven so that if that kind of thing happens, he can just claim that as his, I was just joking and everybody will believe it because he's always saying stupid shit. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) I mean, I don't have any doubt that would be some sort of long con game in his, in his arsenal there. Like I'll just pretend like I'm always like this, (laughs) but it was, I mean, yeah, the circumstances by which all that happened couldn't have been, you know, more serendipitous. I wouldn't, I, I, we may have to cut this because it's pretty vulgar, but my favorite Russell moment was the night we watched, you and me and him watched uh, Jeepers Creepers, which we all enjoyed. And then we watched yeah. that movie, Oh, with Julia Stiles. And, oh, yeah. um, and then when they're, when they're having sex, <laughs> do you remember this? <laughs> Russell you know? said he's giving her a back rub from the inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember that. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, you always had to pay attention with Russell because he would slip things in just like it was. It's kind of like you know. I don't know if you guys were big fans of Thirty Rock. Like a lot of times, you would watch Thirty Rock and you would just get lulled into this sense of like, oh, they're just kind of talking normally, and then they throw a joke in just completely out of nowhere that you were like, oh. I have to rewind this. I wasn't even expecting that. And, uh, and that's how Russell would be when he would just talk in everyday life. And a lot of times you just have to sit there and just like, you know, oh, okay. saying that. Oh, oh what, what did you say? <laughs> we have plenty more. We're going to see if this is a popular topic and we'll come back to it. Cause there are plenty, plenty more to talk about, uh, movie theater stories because that's just a, it's a unique place to, to work. And it's a, you get a, a unique subset of customers and people you work with. Yeah. Um, so um, anyway, uh, let's get on to our Q and a and Jeremy, do we have a couple of good ones today? Question. I have a question. Just one more thing. I want the truth. I know more than you. 
Yeah, I've got some good shit. Actually, I'm going to have trouble picking this week. So um, at least I think it's good. Um, since we didn't really touch on it when we talked about the new Civil War trailer, um, people want to know what our stance is on Spider-Man's costume. Um, and, uh, you know, I think they could put any costume on screen and somebody's going to say it's true to such and such era comic, um, as this is apparently true to some early sixties era Spider-Man costume or something. I don't really, I don't really, at the end of the day, I don't really care what his costume looks like. I care that he looks fake as hell in this trailer because it's not finished, whatever they're doing to him. And that sort of annoyed me, but what did you guys think of the suit? That looks that looks kind of like a mess, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it's fine. the The suit color, whoever, it's it's like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting like a new shade of copper or something. <laughs> like, like, do we really care that much? Like, they're going to show up and they're going to like assault each other for four hours. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's the same thing. I, I don't care, but yeah, it did look really shitty in the trailer itself, though. What do we make of these eyes? Mm, I don't know. They kind of look like Deadpool eyes a little bit to me, but. I mean, let alone the physics of how they work. Like, is he is he controlling them with his muscles or something? Um, it looks a little weird, is all I'm saying. And and didn't look the like Deadpool's looked real, and yeah. this didn't look real. Nothing about that looked real, actually. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's that's my main thing too. I mean, I'm with you guys. Is that the CGI on it? Now, we did uh, we did sort of remark about this long, long ago when the first Spider Man came out, when they didn't have the effects finished in that, that it looked horrible. Now you look at it today, and it's still like, oh well, that's unfortunate in some <laughs> some instances. Um, but. Uh, but um, I mean, they'll make it look better, but I, I'm just against in general, that type of the, the CGI where it just looks fake and it's just like, ah, that's not a real guy there. I can't, I'm, I'm out of it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it, well, and yeah, I, why don't you just save him for the movie? You know, like I was kind of disappointed they even showed him at all, but, and then the fact that he doesn't appear to be finished. Um, anyway, so I, I'm not a big fan, but I don't really care that much about the outfit. But you know what? This is this is probably something else that you know. I mean, you know, a lot of times I I will critique commercials, and we did that uh, in one of the earlier podcasts or whatever. And a lot of times, you know, you're just you're you know, it's just fun to make fun of the plots of some of these commercials and everything. Um, and uh, but the you know the main the main focus of a commercial is just to announce something is is going on. So that you know about it, it doesn't really have anything to do with is there is there plot holes and stuff like that. And like this, this is more about telling everybody on Earth who doesn't know that Spider Man is actually in this movie. But so, did anybody not know that? I'm sure that there are people out there. I guarantee you, in fact, there were people out there who who did not know that. Okay, because I dealt with those type of people at the theater all the time. They're, you know, they would always be like, Oh, and you hear they're putting Spider-Man in this thing. And, you know, and it's like, Oh yeah, I heard about it a year ago. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but, um, but yeah, there are a lot of people who are like that. Um, uh, so yeah, it, it, it sort of tells people and it, and it sort of, if you were just kind of worried about Spider-Man showing up or whatever, he gives him, they give him something cool, quote unquote to do. So that's like, Oh, he's in that. It's going to be awesome. Whatever. So yeah, it may, I don't think they really care how it looks right now because you, now they just basically are announcing Spider-Man's in this movie. All right. So, uh, let's find another question here. Um, <clears throat> Oh, they'd like us to talk about the Ghostbusters trailer. Hmm. Okay. Which I, um, I'm predicting is going to be three of us not saying very many good things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I remember I woke up the morning that they, um, uh, you know, came out with it and I immediately went over to watch it. Um, and I was like, eh, okay. I mean, all right. I didn't have much to think about. I didn't know that it was, it was getting that kind of a backlash. Um, I, I didn't really, I really just sort of felt, yeah, no one, not one way or the other about it. Um, what about you guys? Oh man, it's, I mean, the biggest crime is it's not funny. I think I tweeted the movie might be funny, but this trailer is not funny. And I think even Kevin Smith said on his podcast recently that whoever cut the trailer should be fired (laughs) Um, or something along those lines. Maybe he said, maybe he just, just towed that line. But um, I mean, I, I guess there's a lot of backlash about race stuff and the character Leslie Jones is playing being sort of a cliche and being the only one that's not a scientist and I'm not a woman and I'm not black. So I, it's hard for me to really talk about those topics. I, I just thought it was unfunny. I mean, whether or not the character saying, Oh, hell no is black or white. It's not a funny line. Why are we still doing that? It was barely funny when Will Smith was doing it 12 years ago. I know. I was about to say, this is some, we, 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 they've actually even made fun of that type of thing in some of the parody movies that have come out where it's, you know, you have a black, black character who says, Oh, hell no. And all this other type of stuff. They've even made fun of that. So yeah, um, it's, it's almost like, um, they're still trying to appeal to that lowest common denominator on, on these little things like that. Um, cause it's cause there's still a lot of people who find that funny for whatever reason, but and I thought it was a reboot. So why did they open with the 30 years ago for scientists, such and such. And now today it's happening again or whatever. No, it a- it's not a reboot. It's, it's, uh, it's just, it's just the, it's the same world with them in it 30 years later. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Cause I, I believe I like that. I believe they were going to in the many incarnations of ghostbusters three, uh, it was supposed to be all of them back. And then I think they just decided, you know, well, they've, they've gotten too old to do this now, blah, blah, blah. And then they just like, well, let's just keep it in the modern day and, uh, you know, and yeah, just make them all female. Now, um, uh, you're right. And when you have people like Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig and Kate McKinnon and all these people who are really funny and they can't come up with anything funny then that is a problem for sure and then they should probably come out with a new trailer soon for that well, yeah it's been a long time since i saw the the original trailer but i, I kind of got the idea that the the original trailer for the original ghostbusters was also not all that exciting certainly commensurate with the movie right you know i mean it, it seems like it's appealing to more of like you know slapstick kids um you know, younger people that may not be already uh, emotionally attached to this in the first place. So yeah, it, it, it certainly was not impressive and it definitely was not funny. Yeah. I think for me, I mean, I, I had just, like I said, I had a different sort of reaction. It wasn't like, Oh, that doesn't look funny or whatever. It was just like, okay, that's coming out. And, um, and, uh, and, and I, whether or not it's funny or not, I, a lot of times trailers can just lie to you. A lot of times you see a trailer and they put all the funny stuff in the trailer and uh, you watch it and it's just like, mm, everything that was funny was in that trailer. Yeah. And this one, maybe they want to hold back. Maybe they, I don't know what they did. All right. Let's do, uh, just for the sake of discussion, um, scariest movie moment. Um, 
because I, I think it, it obviously depends on what age I was when I saw the movie, because if we're going to adjust for age inflation, then the answer is Jaws, because I saw Jaws as a, way too young, and I wouldn't take baths for months, and my mom was mad at me. Um, <clears throat> but as an adult, I don't find that moment as scary as I do the chest-busting scene in Alien. Mm-hmm. Um, when that thing comes out, it's it's frightening. It's gross. It's uh, it still chills me to the bone. Um, but what what moments uh, scare you guys the most? I had one of those moments with Chris actually. Uh, it was way back before when when you could uh, do uh, literal viral uh, marketing for the Blair Witch Project. Ah. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we ended up. Chris, was that the first time that you had seen it over at uh, our friend's place, Mike's place? Well, I was actually, I actually was the one who brought that tape. Um, yeah, you brought it, and it, but you watched it before. Uh, but I had watched it before, and um, and uh, Russell coming up again um, is the one who gave it to me. Um, yeah. he and. Gave it to uh, me and yeah, and it was a a longer version of it too. I think it was like a two hour version of Blair Witch Project. Yeah, well, we watched it, you know, an old VHS tape, and uh, in this darkened uh, house that was in a terrible neighborhood, and you'd see shadows like passing by the whole time. And you know, it, say what you will about the the Blair Witch Project and how, what it what it birthed, but. Um, it was a scary movie when you saw it, especially if you didn't really have the backstory and you didn't have the background and everything. And the last shot in the Blair Witch Project really creeped me out. Yeah. And it's a guy standing in the corner and it's not really that scary at all. But in context, it gave you the chills and I, I thought it was great. Well, and that's how I experienced it. It had sort of this like way before it was in theaters. It had this like underground pass around VHS kind of yeah. life. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, there's always one person in that viewing party you showed it to who who then goes and shows it to a bunch of other people. And, um, yeah, in that context, it was creepy as hell. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and you know, you're talking about the viral marketing of it. It's one it's one of the first it's like the grand of the grandfathers of the, uh, you know, incoming Internet age we started to live in. Um, and it was a movie that, you know, they they made it seem like it was real. Everything was real. Like they had a yeah. website with all the where the murders happened and mm-hmm. um, all these different things. Now, in the back of your head, when you first watched, when you first saw this, you were like, oh, this is not real. I mean, come on. They couldn't make a movie and come out with it to a mass audience that actually showed people's murders. There's no way that they could do that. And nobody, no, nobody in the families would do that. Um, but it did make it. I mean, the marketing for it really made it look you know, like, oh, that's actually really did happen. They actually sent the footage to the studio and blah, blah, blah. There were a lot of people who were taken in by that. But that, yeah, that underground life of it was what, where Blair Witch was really at its best. Um, when it became a big movie, it sort of lost all that because there was yeah. a lot of people who were, you know, they just didn't like, they didn't, I mean, they didn't like the shaky cam. And I had a story about that too. Um, but, uh, the the shaky cam of Blair Witch Project and everything you know, turned people a lot of people off and say hey huge opening weekend and then it fell tremendously by the next week still got um, a sequel yeah still got a sequel and, and the sequel is oh my god just terrible um, but uh, for me the uh, scariest uh, moment uh, I guess that I mean there's a couple that I can uh, that I like um, in Halloween. There's a there's a point where and this isn't like a super scary moment, but it's one of those things that is really effective and they don't do in horror movies much anymore is when the camera is moving around and you can see him in the corner 
of in the background somewhere. And then, and then the camera will move away and then it kind of comes back, but it's not like a purposeful move. Like a lot of horror movies would do that. Oh, he was there and now he's not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but Halloween would do it where the camera, the camera movement seemed incidental. So, you know, the camera would move slightly and you'd see Michael Myers in the corner of a frame and then it would come back and you'd, you know, talk to the show, the babysitter or whatever, and then it would come back and they, Oh, he's not there now. Um, that's always been effective to me. And I don't know why more horror movies haven't really followed that model. Uh, because I think, you know, now everybody favors that, you know, blood and gore jump scare stuff, but there was a jump scare in the movie, the descent. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the descent. I have. Oh yeah. Um, there's a jump scare in that movie that's really effective because all the women are in that, that dark cavern and they're like shining lights around and the light finally hits one spot where there's this, like one of these, the monster dudes is right behind her when, when the light shows up on him or whatever. And it's, it always got me. It was always a really good jump scare in a movie. We should do, I was thinking about this the other day, but we should earmark a topic for the future where we talk about jump scares that are good jump scares that work. Um, Cause they're not all bad. At least it didn't start out that way. Yeah, the, when it when it's just for the sake of a scare of some sort, that's usually when it's bad, and when it doesn't make any sense to the movie. I mean, there's so many of those where they just out of nowhere they'll throw something in, and it's like, well, that has no consequences at all. Yeah. Um. So that's why I don't like. But in that one, that that means it's on. Everything is everything's changing for these women who just went into the to the caverns yep. or whatever. It's yep. completely. <laughs> it's a it's a really scary jump scare. That's for the Sincast for this Monday. Uh, we're still going to SoundCloud, right, to make comments? Yes. Yeah, so we're going to so everybody out there who wants to comment, uh, whether we're doing good or bad or whatever you want to say, go to SoundCloud and give us some comments. Uh, we do this every Monday. Uh, as for today, we're signing off. This is Chris, Jeremy, and Barrett. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out CinemaSins on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. Also want to give a, a shout out to a program that we've been using since we've all been in different areas uh, since we've been recording this podcast, uh, a program called Zencaster. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster, that's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com. They, I hope the listeners like it like 10% as much as we do, because then we can just keep doing it. Under roof! Hey, everyone. You're going to need a bigger boat. I am so, so sorry.